So have you ever done any back-to-school shopping? My guess is some of you have done some this week. Over the last couple of weeks, some of you parents and grandparents have done some back-to-school shopping. Uh, one wise philosopher said that at the end of the day, back-to-school shopping is just a marker, a timetable, a waiting time for Thanksgiving break. That's what everything's about, right? Back to school is, hey, Thanksgiving break's right around the corner. And statistics show that 49.2 out of 50 moms say that the best part of back-to-school shopping is that their kids are going back to school, right? That's, that's the big sell. My guess is somewhere in town or somewhere in a den as somebody was online shopping or maybe in their adventures of back to school at the mall, they've heard some phrases like this. Mom, mom, I have to have this shirt. No other girl at school has this shirt. I need this shirt, mom. Or maybe a son, dad, dad, dad. They only made 500 pairs of these shoes, this limited edition. Dad, I really need these shoes for school. Or, Grandma, Mom and Dad won't buy me this leather jacket, but they don't understand. It's an emergency. I have to have this jacket. It's not just back-to-school kids either, right? We, we all have the ability, whether it's power tools or golf clubs or signet rings or, or just about anything else in life, we all have that ability to be a little confused about the difference in something that we need and something that we just have to have. In other words, we all have the ability to blur the lines between emergency buying and emotional buying. So how do we clear things up? How do we make things a little more clear in how we do life? Well, we continue our series, Doors, where we're looking at some of the most defining doors that we face in life. Today, our message is emergency doors, and we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. What we'll find in this letter is the Apostle Paul is going to help us discover, see, remember the most valuable thing we can own and the most valuable thing we can do. Now, you can't buy these things online, you can't buy them at the mall, but they are the most treasured things that you can have in your life. What you own and what you do, these two particular things. So, what are they? Well, let's find out. Colossians chapter three, verse one, Paul writes, therefore, if you have been raised with Christ. The most valuable thing you can have in this universe, the most valuable thing you can own is to be raised with Christ, to have life with Christ, to have salvation in Jesus Christ. In just a few weeks, we'll have our, our next baptism at the beginning of our worship hour. And, and part of the, the beauty and really the obedient coolness of baptism is this picture, this image of when a person comes up out of the water. There is this proclamation, this declaration, I'm here, I'm doing this because I have been raised up with Christ. My sin no longer defines me. My sin no longer grips my soul. The condemnation of my sin is not hanging over my head. I am free raised up with Christ. 
Paul gives us a a glimpse into a picture of of what it means to be raised up with Christ as he walks through the rest of chapter 3. We're just going to focus on verse 1, but but notice when he says here, if we have been raised up with Christ. It's not an iffy if, it's more of a since you've been raised up with Christ, because you've been raised up with Christ. In other words, because you're saved, because you're a Christian, because you're a believer, because you're following after Jesus, there is something you must do. There's a setup here to to this truth that he's proclaiming, that there's something we must do so that our profession of faith actually reveals and proves that we have a possession of faith. So the most valuable thing we can own is to be raised up with Christ, to have salvation in Christ, but there is this treasured valuable thing that we must do to, in essence, kind of prove that we've been raised up with Christ. So that must be a big thing, right? I mean, it's going to kind of prove our Christianity, right? I mean, it's got to be like going to the Holy Land, right? Or, or getting baptized in the Jordan River or, you know, memorizing the book of Ezra or, you know, doing a, a weekly community mission project or a biannual mission project overseas. I mean, this has to be something big and huge, right? So what is this thing? What is this treasured thing we must do? Paul tells us the next part of verse one, keep seeking the things that are above. That's the most treasured, valuable thing you can do is to keep seeking the things that are above. One of the beauties of studying the Bible and one of the most helpful things we can do is to make sure that we make a connection with the original languages that the Bible was written in. And the Greek verb here for seek means an ongoing activity. It's not, a, it's not a one-time thing. It's not like you pray a prayer, you shake the preacher's hand, you get baptized, and you're done keep seeking is to continually seek over and over and over again keep seeking the things above every second every minute every hour no matter what's happening in your life keep seeking keep thinking about keep being infatuated with the things that are above so what are the things that are above well in the simplest way we can describe it it's the things of the kingdom of god it is the things that, that make up and define the kingdom of God. Well, well, how can we see those things practically as we live on earth? Well, Paul helps us a little bit. In his letter to the folks at Galatia, he gives us a, a small glimpse of, of some of these words that describe the things above. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he's describing the fruit of the Spirit, and he says it's love and joy and peace patience and kindness and faithfulness and, and gentleness these these things these fantastic words are definitions earthly definitions so to speak of what the things above are and then he also gives us a glimpse when he's writing to the church at philippi he's trying to help them learn how to think and pray and this is the language he uses philippians 4 a whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. Think on those things. Dwell on those things. Pray those things. Let those things define who you are. So the picture that he gives us are easy words that we all make connections with, right? I mean, don't most of us want to live in a neighborhood and in a city and in a town and a state and in a country and a world where there's some love and there's some peace and there's some joy? 
I mean, we, we understand these words. We know how to make connections with these words. Most days, though, we're looking for each other to ultimately give us those words, right? We're, we're looking to our spouse or to our kids or to our parents or, or to our uh, teachers or our students or our pastors or our church members or our politicians or, or just about any other person in life. We're, we're looking to other people to give us love and peace and, and kindness. We're, we're looking for the people of the world to try to meet our ultimate need. But the reality is they can't because they weren't created and this world wasn't created to meet the deepest longings of our souls. We weren't created to be here and experience ultimate love and peace here. The reality is we do live here though, right? I mean, the world is, is beautiful. It's, it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's fun. We, we're alive. We should be so thankful that we've been created. So thankful that we exist on this planet. So thankful that we get to experience all the different things that we experience on a daily basis. But the reality is, although we can enjoy the sun and the moon and the stars and the skies and winter and spring and summer and fall and, and applewood smoked bacon and whatever else it is that you love, we can experience those things. We can love those things and we should. But this world is also full of sin and evil and darkness. Therefore, we are always longing for something more. We, we have a desire that something more would find our souls because at some point, vacation is over and we're back in the real world. At some point, our, our sickness comes and, and the fun of being healthy stops for a moment. At, at some point, school and test and work are back in session. At some point, the weekend ends. And we find ourselves longing for something that would satisfy our souls. And the reality is we can't seem to find it in the people and the places and the things around us, at least not more than just a temporary time. Earlier in this letter, Paul writes about why we're gathered today. See, we're not gathered today just to be religious. We're not gathered today just to kind of be a part of a group that helps us feel a little better about life. No, we're gathered today because of the very definition of what we have in Jesus Christ. So what do we have in Jesus Christ? On chapter 1, Paul wrote it this way, Colossians 1.13, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of of his beloved son. But that's why we gather. We, we gather to help each other remember or to find for the first time what it means to be rescued from darkness and what it means to be transferred into the marvelous kingdom of the light of the son of God, to be transferred into the kingdom of God through Jesus. That's what we have. That's what we have in Christ. We've been rescued and we've been transferred. But that's not all. Verse 14. In whom also we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Yes, we all want love and peace and kindness and joy. We, we do. But what we really, really want 
is to be forgiven. We want to be forgiven. Even if we don't believe in God or we hate God, we want to be forgiven. We don't want anything hanging over our lives. We don't. We don't want the government to come after us if we messed up on our taxes. We don't want to get a speeding ticket in the middle of town when everybody can ride by and look at you while you're getting your ticket. We don't want to experience working really hard at our jobs day in and day out, but, but never making enough money to, to really make ends meet and, and always being choked out by debt. We don't want to live life with family and friends constantly holding grudges against us. We don't want to live life where there is anyone that tells us we aren't free to do whatever we want. We don't want to live life where we walk through the doors of the emergency room and we're wondering if we're going to die in that hospital. See, we, we want to be forgiven. We want to be released. We want to be rescued. We want to be free. And the only way we can experience those things in the fullness, the reality, is in and through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the ultimate rescue, the ultimate transfer. He's the ultimate forgiveness. He's the ultimate freedom. So when Paul says, hey, keep seeking the things above, he's, he's not just giving us some church language. What he's trying to do, he's trying to help us see that life right now in Christ is real. That this is real life that we're in. And as Christians, we're really living in this life. And we should be thankful for it, and we should enjoy it. But we should also remember that here is not home. That here is not our ultimate home. That, that Casey West Columbia or Holland Avenue Baptist Church or South Carolina or the United States or, or the planet Earth, this is not our home. Now, truthfully, that sounds like religious mumbo-jumbo, but it's not. See, Paul's writing about seeking the things above because he's trying to help us as Christians to keep remembering we've been rescued. We've been transferred. We've been forgiven. We've been set free. We are in the marvelous light of Jesus Christ and nothing can take that away. That, dear Christian, is your ultimate reality. Being in Christ, being rescued and transferred, that is your ultimate reality. Your ultimate reality is not your taxes. Your ultimate reality is, is not the, the test results from the hospital. Your ultimate reality is not your education. It's not your job. It's not your family conflicts. Your ultimate reality is not what your spouse or your parents or your kids or your ex or your pastor or your teacher or your classmates or your workmates or anyone else in life or your Instagram likes say or think about you. Your ultimate reality when you have been raised up with Jesus Christ is your identity with Jesus Christ. Your ultimate reality is you're rescued, you're transferred, you're forgiven, you're free. That is reality. No one can change that. Now, we may feel different, okay? We may feel different in that argument with our parents or that argument with our spouse. We, we may not feel that our identity is that we've been raised up with Christ. 
We may not feel like when we're sitting in the emergency room that we've been raised up with Christ. We, we may not feel like when we're having to pay our taxes or we're at that first week of school or something difficult at work has happened. We, we may not feel like we've been raised up with Christ, but that is an automatic. If you've repented and received Jesus as your Savior, you have been raised up with Christ. So here's what Paul's saying. Keep seeking that. Keep thinking about that. Keep meditating on that. Keep marinating on that. Your home, your ultimate home is with Christ. Keep seeking your ultimate home. Let that be what's in your mind the most. The letter to the Hebrews gives a a powerful description of what this looks like in real life, what it looks like in the, the lives of men and women and people just like me and you looking back to people who had lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born. This is what it says. Hebrews 11, verse 13. All these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen and welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They they knew this wasn't home. And they didn't receive the promises that we know are ultimately found in Jesus Christ, but they still believed. Just, just a quick side note. We, we are obsessed with information these days. We get angry if we don't get information. How dare they keep information from me? whether it's politicians or the news or the school or work or church or, or your parents. or How dare anybody not give me information? So, so we're obsessed with information. We're angry when we don't get information. Not only did they not get information, they didn't even get the promise. They, they didn't receive the actual tangible promise of what we have in Jesus Christ, but they still believed they didn't pout. They didn't get angry. They didn't, how dare God didn't do that for me? No, they still believed. Why? Because they had already lived life long enough to discover that God was real and that they could trust God. So they believed, even when they didn't get everything they want, even when everything at home and church and work and school and in the government wasn't how they wanted, they didn't hang it up. They kept believing in God. They kept turning to God because they knew this wasn't their home. Verse 15 of Hebrews 11, if they had been thinking of that country which they left, they would have had opportunity to return. I mean, they could have gone back home, right? I mean, they could have gone back to their hometown. the, The Hebrew slaves, they could have gone back to Egypt. But they didn't because they knew, wait a minute, I'm I'm longing for something more. I have a desire for something more. My home is, is different. And then verse 16, love this. But as it is, they were desiring a better country. That is a heavenly one. Have you had a rough week? Have you had a rough month? Are you having a rough Sunday morning? Things been tough. Got some things you're, you're dealing with that, that are kind of not disappearing. You're having a hard time thinking. Well, if you're a Christian, 
then the truth of what Paul is doing to help all of our hearts is he's saying, hey, keep seeking the things above when it's hard, when it's tough, when you don't get the information, when you don't receive the promise. In that moment, keep seeking the things above. Keep remembering you've been rescued. Keep remembering you've been transferred. Keep remembering that you're forgiven and that you're free. I was reading something by a young man named Scott Hubbard, and and he was describing what it means to step away from life for a moment. This is what he said. Set aside for a moment the day's pressing task. Hush, if you can, the hopes and desires that rushed upon you the moment you awoke. We all know those rushes, right? Step away from the morning's burdens. Forget what the hours ahead may hold. And then he says this, Now, Christian, remember, you are going to heaven. That's that's a way to seek things above. But then he goes on, Very soon, even any moment, you will be hastened away from all you've known here to take an eternal holiday. You will wake up to find your lungs filled with the air of a better country. Your sorrows and sighs will be out of sight. You will see Jesus face to face, and with him you will be home. Those are truths about what it means to be raised with Jesus Christ. And Scott went on to say this, take those with you. Step back into the classroom with those truths. Step back into work and the office with those truths. Step back into the kitchen. Step back into working on your computer. Step back into watching the news. Step back into the lawyer's office or the doctor's office. Step back into the waiting room at the emergency room with these truths that in Christ, being raised up with Christ, means that this is not your home and one day you will be breathing the air of a better country. It's not a fairy tale. It's not make-believe. We're not here today because you like my new haircut, okay? And you may not like my new haircut and it's fine. We're here because this is true. We're here because of the things of Jesus. So we keep seeking the things above. And so the question is, do you think anything would change in your life if you kept seeking the things above? Would anything be different? Now, there's this old saying that says what? Oh, they're so heavenly minded, they're no earthly good. Been in the church 50 years, never met that person You know, they don't exist. Because if we're honest, most of us as Christians, we barely think of heavenly things on Sunday morning. And rarely do we think of them during the week. But wouldn't it be great to change that? Wouldn't it it be fantastic to to flip the script in our lives? To to start seeking the things above in, in such a way that it really changes how we think and how we act and how we engage with our spouses and our kids and and people no matter where we are. I want to drop back and punt just for a moment to to last Sunday. I 
I, I gave us three simple things to do as a different thing in your week. These are the three things. Read your Bible before you look at your phone. Pray before you make your coffee or your smoothie or, or whatever it is that you make in the morning. And then something about God that you see and hear or read in the morning, take it with you during the day. In other words, on purpose, get that thing in your mind and, and get it there so that you're going to say, sometime today, I'm going to try to be in a conversation with someone and bring out that truth. Now, how many of you did those things? You don't have to share your hands. How many of you did those things this week? I could be honest, I, I did. <laughs> you know, I, I tried to follow my own sermon. And I'm telling you, it, it did make a difference. You know, just three simple things. It did make a difference. It made a difference because I didn't necessarily want to keep seeking the things above. But the simplicity of those three very simple acts, it kind of moved me in the direction of seeking things above. And that's what it does. The truth of God in whatever little morsels that we can get, it does something to us. It helps us think different. It helps us look different. It gives us different eyes. Some of you know that, that last Sunday night about 8.30, I uh, jumped in the car and, and drove to the emergency room in Augusta. Um, we, we think my mom, they think my mom had a little, little TIA, a little mini stroke. Um, if she didn't have one before she got to the hospital, she definitely could have had one while we were in the waiting room. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but after the last 30 years, if you are not familiar with this fact, every single ER in America on Sunday night is packed. Okay, if you don't know that, I just, I'm giving that as a public service announcement. I've seen it in every state I've ever lived in. Every ER on Sunday night is just packed. And so we were there for, you know, a while and, and um, uh, I guess maybe a few hours at one point and, and um, they were doing some tests. My mom came by ambulance, but, um, but she checked out really good when she first got there. By the way, my mom's doing fine. They let her out the next day. Uh, but so my dad, my sister and I, we, we hung out with mom in the ER for a few hours in the waiting room. And then uh, my dad and my sister went and got some sleep. And, and I stayed with mom during the night and we eventually got transferred to this little tiny room in the ER. And uh, it was a very uh, interesting room. Um, it was freezing cold. Um, I'm, I'm typically a hot-natured person. Uh, the only time I ever remember really having chills was when I was in the eighth grade and I had an allergic reaction to codeine, uh, and I was in the hospital a couple of days. But I can tell you, uh, last Sunday night, uh, I guess Monday morning technically, I woke up several times freezing cold I mean like violently shaking I was so cold we had a sweet nurse she brought me a uh, you know the, the thickest blanket that they had for me and mom and by the thickest blanket I mean imagine you know a, a bounty paper towel as a blanket you know um, it was three ply but not enough for this guy uh, uh, so it, it was just cold and, and mom and I both were just we were just so cold and, and so I had this you know, a palatial hard bottom chair that I sat in uh, all night long. And, and uh, I think over the course of seven hours, I slept maybe hour and a half to two hours total during that time. And, and I drift off for a little bit. But when I woke up, I was privy to everything that was happening, you know, out in the hall. All the rooms were full and, and they just had people lined up out in the hallway. And, and I was privy to all those conversations. Those conversations were hard. They were tough conversations. They were life and death conversations. And I remember as I, I listened to them, I, I became so thankful for the doctors and nurses that were there. Um, they work in a world 
that almost everything they do makes everything feel impossible. I mean, it's, it's just impossible. Because you know why? Because people are sick and they're ticked. You know? And isn't it great to be around people like that all the time? You know? Um, and you, you just feel like you can't, you can't do anything right. And yet they just keep serving. They keep helping. They, they keep doing the best they can. And I, I can remember that whole experience. I just, there's so many stories of things I overheard that night. So many things I experienced that night. And, and as the night wore on and, and I'm in and out of sleep, you know, you, you get kind of tired in those places. And, and your mind starts playing tricks on you. And you're not really sure how you think and, and how you feel and, and you're freezing cold and, and there's something you have to do when you're sitting in a hard bottom chair in the middle of the ER all night long. This is what you have to do. You have to preach to yourself. Not because I'm a preacher, but because you're a preacher. We're all preachers. You are your own pastor and preacher. You are pastoring yourself and you're preaching yourself one way or the other. And I had to start preaching to myself what I told y'all last Sunday. It was fresh on my mind then. But I had to keep preaching to myself the truth of what I shared in last Sunday's sermon. And that truth was this, that Jesus Christ has what the Bible described as an indestructible life. Indestructible. And I had to keep seeking that over and over again, keep putting that into my mind because everything was a little stressful and a little discouraging, a little, little, little chaotic. And I had to keep preaching that to myself. And, and then I had to remind myself as, as I looked at my mom, you know, not wanting to be at the hospital either and, and going through these things, I had to remind myself, you know what? I'm not just remembering this for me, but I'm remembering that my mom She's already been rescued. She's already been transferred. She's already begin, been forgiven. She's already been free. So the power of the indestructible life of Jesus, it's, it's already in her life. Therefore, this room is not her home. And this hospital is not her home. And, and her address, her house over in North Augusta, that's not her home. This world is not her home, and it's not mine either. And I wasn't feeling overwhelmed about death in that moment. Maybe I will, because I, I realize, you know, one day it's not going to be my mom in the ER, it'll be me. And I wasn't overwhelmed with the thought of death in that moment. I was much more overwhelmed, and I may be in the moment, you know, when, when I'm there, but on Sunday night and Monday morning, what I was overwhelmed with is that there is coming a day where I will breathe the air of a better country. And there's no one that can change that in my life. I have been rescued. I have been transferred. I am forgiven. I am free because of the indestructible life of Jesus Christ. So I'm not hoping in a fairy tale. I'm not wishing upon a star. I am confident in the indestructible life of Jesus, in the birth and death and resurrection and one day return of Jesus. He has proven himself over and over and over, and that's why I keep seeking the things above. It's not religious language. It's not, 
It's not hokey pokey. It is this truth that since we've been raised up with Christ, we should joyfully, happily, thankfully keep seeking the things above. So, we're going to leave here in a little bit and everything in your life will pull you away from keeping, keeping on seeking the things above. I mean, really, your food's going to be late at the restaurant, you know, the, the service may not be great. Hey, you may leave here and have a TIA in the parking lot, you know, or you may get in the parking lot and somebody may be giving you TMI, you know, way more information that you want, okay? Something's going to happen today and tomorrow and this week that'll try to pull you away from the indestructible life of Jesus. So, so the only thing you can do about that is the most valuable thing you can do. Keep seeking the things above. Keep remembering you've been transferred. Keep remembering you've been rescued. Keep remembering that you're forgiven and free. Dear Christian, keep seeking the things above. And if you're not a Christian, oh, we would love for you to enjoy and find the thrill of what it means to keep seeking the things above.